This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Yo, y'all ready for a Breaking Normal podcast episode number 36 with my dear friend, Ryan the Lionheart, also known as Ryan Bowditch. We've had his brother on a earlier episode. And speaking of, now that we have over 30 episodes and uh, we're about to hit 420, I challenge everyone that's listening to this, if you haven't caught up with all the episodes, to listen to an episode a day. What a better way to brainwash yourself for success and undo the cultural conditioning that was passed along potentially unconsciously. How does that sound to y'all? Y'all ready to break some normal? Because only dead fish go with the flow all the time. <laughs> uh, creepy laugh. Okay. Um, let me give you all the top 10 current breaking normal news flashes in case you didn't see my recent Instagram post. Here they go. And then get ready to dive deep with Ryan. And I will put another teaser of the breaking normal book on Audible at the end of the episode if you want to tune into that. And if you haven't listened to that, I'd say go ahead and send it. And if you have listened to it, do it again. I've had many people listen to it many times, and it seems like it only gets better. And I imagine that faith is instilled and imbued in that book, because that's my faith as writing it, or as speaking it. It was actually spoken to existence. And I partnered with uh, my good friend Sam Poppy to get written. If you've been listening to episodes, you'll know about that. All right, here we go. No more more time to fill... Actually, no more. Don't, let's think about this. Kill time? Why would you kill time when you can fill time? So we have all plenty of time to fill. Here we go. Number one, Uriah was in heat. Number two, life as Deanna is leaving us for a week while we, we wean Davina off milk. The out of sight, out of mind idea. Any other parents experience with this? Send me some prayers and send me a message if you have any insights. Number three, um, the... Finally got the breaking normal, the first breaking normal shirt in print. And if you would like to get that print on a uh, women's shirt, men's shirt, a hat, or baby's clothes, definitely send me um, a message on Instagram ASAP so we can include that. And check out the podcast section of the Breaking Normal website if you want to see um, see the shirt because I actually wore it while I filmed this episode. Number four, I just said it. Number five. The next four Breaking Normal podcasts include this one with Ryan, Naveen Jain, self-made multi-billionaire. Well, what really? Is anyone a self-made? He's a billionaire. <laughs> um, Luke Story, uh, Rhino Hughes, and Hawk, also named, known as Kyle Allen. He is uh, one of the main actors in the show The Path that I've been studying. Great show, especially since I watched Wild Wild Country before that. I've been learning a lot about the ethics of building tribes uh, versus building an unethical cult based on group think. Group think. So this is a lot about heart sync over group think, baby. And the first official tribe design, tribe house, is scheduled to be available five five for the superheroes going through our leadership training, which also launches five five. So if you want to get on this round of the facilitator slash leadership training, definitely go to internationaltribedesign.com and put your application in ASAP. Um, and when the one month after that launches, Tribe Design 12 kicks off in beautiful Colorado. So if you want to join us for Tribe Design 12, definitely hit us up at, with an application on internationaltribedesign.com. And finally, uh, number 8, 9, and 10, I'm basically looking for a designer slash illustrator for an upgraded book cover along with making the brand feel similar between the podcast, the app, which is still under construction, and the book. 
Number nine, looking to potentially partner with a super aligned CEO for Breaking Normal Inc. And number 10, who is interested? Anybody interested in a fasting slash sweat lodge slash cactus slash hunting ceremony and bringing wild game to our Colorado tribe design? Definitely hit me up about that. That'll probably be a smaller, more procured group if we go through that. But we got properties and we got ideas. And what's more powerful than an idea? If you want to hear about the ideas of addiction psychology, the difference between drugs and habits and rituals um, and the subtleties of addictions versus anchors, then stay tuned for this podcast. All right. Trust everything as well. And I'd love to hear what y'all's favorite episodes or episode has been thus far with a, uh, a review and rating and subscription on the iTunes, because that's how we can pay reverence to the gods of the internet known as algorithms that seem to use the law of attraction to show up on this electric device known as our screen. So this electric device is our body can tune into the frequency. All right. Enjoy tuning into this frequency. Much love y'all. Peace in. Enjoy the audible sample at the end. Welcome to the Breaking the Roll podcast. I think this is episode number 36, I believe. I'm here with Ryan Bowditch. We are both attending the, what is it called now? I think it's called the Upgraded Labs Conference, Bulletproof Upgraded Labs. So originally known as the Bulletproof Conference, and this is their sixth year. And I was actually scheduled to be interviewing uh, one of the keynote speakers here named Naveen Jain mm-hmm. here in Ryan's room. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to prioritize a podcast with Ryan, yeah. but our rapport is so deep. So yes. I don't know exactly where this is going to go. Naveen is more like a, we come in each other's world seemingly fast and go fast. Yeah. That's been the history so far. So I am stoked for this divine upgrade. Same. To be here with you. And man, how do we know each other? What's the story of how, from like the quick, like yeah. 22 elevator, 22 level elevator story? Yeah. Well, for me, it's, it's very clear. I remember first stumbling across your videos when I was researching uh, veganism and raw vegan and you guys came up and I kind of dabbled in that world, but didn't stay for too long and came across another video of yours much later where you and your brothers were talking about Christianity and you were talking about faith and things like that. And at that time I had a lot of, I'll just say hatred for religion and Christianity in general, because, um, I grew up with a strong terror of hell. My mom, you know, I grew up with a single mother. She was an alcoholic, drug addict, and we didn't go to church. And the rest of my family did. And I was convinced that she was going to burn in hell for that. And it would give me night terrors. And later on, when I stopped believing in that um, version of hell, I had extreme anger towards the church and towards what I felt, I felt I had been manipulated as a child to believe this very scary thing. And coming across your video, you, you guys were doing this one where you're just talking about faith and Christianity and things like that in a way that was so real and so down to earth and so not religion kind of style. I had never even heard of, you know, I don't know if you were calling yourselves Christians at that point, but I'd never heard of people who were just I don't know, would, would swear and would, you know, had different beliefs and it made me feel okay about, wow, there are some good Christians out there. So you heard of swearing on a Rob Ross? I don't know if it was swearing or if it was saying something controversial, but it was definitely definitely a not Christian type of sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Let's say that my 
the preacher that my parents of the church my parents go to would probably not want their children to watch Rob Ross videos. <laughs> yeah. As illuminating as they are, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Well, because you ask a lot of questions and you, you know, you don't follow the traditional mold. So, um, do you think I'm a Christian now? I actually don't know, man. That's I, I don't. Well, I don't think that you're a traditional Christian. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but I don't know. I know when we first started hanging out, you would, you would, I think, talk a little bit more about it. But I, we haven't had a conversation like that in a long time. So. I'd say actually, no, not a traditional one. No, I don't think you are. Thanks for answering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm that I, when, when it comes to uh, categorizing spirituality, it, it, that is such a, it almost reminds me like the visual I'm getting right now is a dog chasing its tail. So I've done, I do that sometimes for fun and I'm not sure if I can actually say it. And that's why I, there's things about, uh, Christianity and Jesus and Yeshua, or also known as Yeshua, that highly resonate with me. I am that I am. I love that. Yeah. That's like, there's so much of what we've learned together through all the retreats and the workshops and whether it's the International Tribe Design or the Mystic Misfits or whatever it is, that that seems to be what we're doing in a way is getting people to not categorize, like, or the Tao Te Ching, let's tie the Tao Te Ching into this. The very beginning of it, I think it goes something along the lines of the best way to strip the power from something is to name it. Interesting. So there's been so much naming in our culture of what's going on for ourselves in the past that I think at Tribe Designer, y'all's events, a lot of it's about embodying it and not naming it, but let it, experiencing the essence of it rather than limiting it to a category. Yeah, I mean, Alan Watts talks about this, that the second you call something like, for instance, this chair, the second I say, oh, that's a chair, well, it's not a chair. A chair is a concept. That's a language uh, structure. It's a way of communicating, but this thing could be, you know, a million particles bouncing into and out of existence. It could be something completely different. It could be a made-up thing in my head that I feel. Yeah, the second I call it a chair, it kind of loses its um, its infinite boundaries and becomes a thing. And it's interesting when we call when we language everything and we're like so certain of it. I think it loses a lot of its power as opposed to the experience of it. Well, on that case, in that case, I was thinking about what do I want to call a chair if I want to rename a chair. Mm. And then the thought that the word came to my mind is trap. <laughs> like it's a trap. It's a trap. Huh? And now I, I actually, I had this set up in mind for Naveen, and I know he's wearing probably a, a suit, and I just didn't know if he would want to sit on the floor, I think. But do yeah. you want to sit on the floor? Yeah, I love the floor, I would rather man. do that, too, uh, now that you say that. I've been doing my last few, my last two podcasts before this were actually on the floor. Yeah, I, I love, love feeling feeling the old root chakra on the ground. Come and I on. know that adds another creative. Now that we have a cameraman in our presence, um, the, the podcast producer, Greg, he can actually adjust the camera, so I'm stoked you're yeah. here. I already actually feel a bit more grounded. You know, the term people say, oh, he's very grounded. That's a, to me, that's when I actually feel the ground. I can feel Pachamama on the ground. Yeah, I think about that. There's like memes going around that the chairs are like the new smoking. Have you heard this? I, I've or, heard sitting is the new smoking. Or, yeah, sitting is the new smoking. Yeah. And first of all, there, I, I would like, that's, I think, on my mind, what I want to discuss with you is probably stuff around taboo uh plants or herbs or 
what people would call drugs. That's yep. like something I, I feel like we would be a fun conversation for us to have out loud. Yeah. I'm um, very and, passionate about it. So let's do it. <laughs> and but I'm also curious, is there anything more relevant on your heart? Cause yeah. Yeah. Well, just to finish the story about how we came together. So that was how I first saw you, but then at this conference actually was where we first met, you know, what now four years ago at this point. And from that meeting, I was like, oh, hey, man, I've seen some of your videos. And like you were somebody I admired quite a bit from a distance. Um, I wasn't doing retreats at that time. I was actually working for Bulletproof. Fast forward to the, all these years later, and now I'm throwing my own retreats. I'm doing things that are, are my own boss. And you are a huge part of that journey for me, man. Watching the magic that happened at the very first Tribe Design Retreat. And I was like, holy shit. When people are radically honest with one another and still supporting each other in this tribe, um, quick side story. I actually, when we, I walked into the circle that you created and I told everybody what I was most afraid for them to know about me, I told them about my past with, uh, you know, selling drugs, you know, drug addiction, um, troubles with the law. And when I left that circle, it was like a hundred plus people. I proceeded to have the worst migraine. Uh, that I'd had in years and I was bedridden for about, I don't know, 12 hours. And then I believe I was having a catharsis. Like I was so, I was purging the shame that I, I had held onto that. And I felt like everybody was judging me and I felt like it was, um, and then sure enough, my brother comes and rustles me out of bed. He's like, come on, man, we're in Hawaii. Let's do this. And I was like, you're right. So I get out of bed and within an hour, uh, it just, it disappeared. And I realized nobody was holding on to judgments. I had pure love around the tribe. And I realized, wow, I can say these scary things about my past and still have love. And that is where I realized the power of, of your mission and which later I incorporated to my mission as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing some of the history we yeah. have. It's quite profound. I mean, one thing that I wanted to share too, is the history about how I think you may have been the original, um, the original voice to the idea of oming to Davina when she was in the womb. Thank you, man. I, I feel uh, that I was as well. So thank good, you for honoring good, that. Yeah. Yeah. And we start, I think you suggested that one evening and it was with you and the same guys that were here on this event with, uh, Ryan, I mean, Ryan here, Jordan, Kevin, weren't they both there as well? Yeah, absolutely. And we all omed to Davina and, uh, then I kind of made that a ritual and then yeah. sure enough, it was just like a natural thing. I'm doing a video, Davina's crying, I'm oming. Yeah. While Davina <laughs> was, was still in Deanna's stomach, that's when we started doing it. And then you continued that practice and later on became viral with her. Yeah. yeah. With an exhale. Yeah. With all the videos I've made over the years that you know a lot about, uh, the one that seemed to hit the most, inspired the most people that I think was most important, like bringing more awareness to our breath or the power of our breath or plugging back into the source through our breath, what we were just talking about right before this, we pressed record, mm -hmm. um, is bringing more awareness to our breath. And that video was just one breath. And it wow. reached like probably millions times more any of my previous viral videos. Oh, Still wow. going viral. So thank you for that. Uh catalyzing that freedom for so many people in a way. Thank you, man. It feels <laughs> yeah. good to be a part of that story. Yeah, it's still uh, happening. It's still unfolding. The ohm is still resonating. Yeah. And then, on. also, I know y'all, uh, you and the Mystic Misfits as a whole really 
study the the hero's journey definitely and like myth and archetypes and i was thinking about the hero's journey of you coming to that tribe design as you were telling the story in a way of how maybe i played like a mentor role definitely and there was an initiation and then you're now it's like full circle that because now i'm here attending the conference that y'all are facilitating at not as being bulletproof employees only but by uh, actually being the Mystic Misfits. Yeah. Doing your own thing. So yep. this is a big, I'm happy to catch you in such a f- epic flow state. Yeah, it's so uh, crazy to think. Like, so I'm walking around this conference now and everybody knows us for all these years, but now they're seeing us on like the billboards and we're like the like the featured people. And it's like, wow, to go from being this, um, you know, an employee, which is beautiful, to being kind of a featured person um, and also going from you being a, a huge mentor and someone I looked up to from afar to now being a very close friend of mine, still a mentor in many ways, but now a very close friend. It's like, wow, life has this beautiful progression when you just go after your heart and you go after your dreams. And that's what I can say I've done over the past few years and it's worked. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an, it, and it's so fascinating too, because at that first event, y'all were like, Jordan somehow set it up with Dave that I was on the panel of high performers yeah. and I spoke at the event and now I'm, I, it's just like the, the reversal of roles is so beautiful. It actually reminds me too of with JP when uh, JP asked me like he, before he was doing funny videos on YouTube, he wanted to do a, we had a consultation together about how to do YouTube videos. Oh, wow. And then to see him from like going from consulting to just being like, now I can consult with him. Yeah. And it was reminding me of this situation. Now I can go to y'all's experience and have an upgrade in my life yeah. because y'all went through this cycle that somehow I catalyzed <laughs> yeah. in some way along the way. And I guess like Ohm Daddy returns to you as well. Yeah, It is uh, beautiful to recognize. And I think I want to share that because anyone listening, it's, I think it's very important to realize that no matter how much you look into some, uh, look up to someone or if you think there's some far removed idol or a celebrity or like, oh, that would just be a dream come true to interact with them. You can very much make a shift quite quickly where that person will be looking up to you and yes. like wanting to be in your space and seeing how they can get in your space. That can happen yeah. so fast. I just want to remind every myself of that and everyone else. Oh, it's incredible. I've experienced this so many times where people that are literally like heroes of mine and people that I have read their books and listened to their podcasts suddenly become peers of mine and, and very close friends. And it's like there's nothing so unique about me than that it, only I could do that it's I believe it's anybody can do that you can become this amazing person that um, you, you become like your heroes it's incredible yeah and that and that being said it's as um, yeah I just, I'm, I'm, I just want that to land I want that to land on me and I oh yeah the, the part that I want to celebrate you particularly and I think you have a gift in is like you're saying you're heroes yeah I think some people have like a fear of hero of having a hero or having an idol or having a mentor sure there's like whatever resistance that myself included in some ways and I also honor that but I think you're so open to it you're so open to celebrating other people's success that it makes it that much easier for people to celebrate your success yeah Thank you. Does man. that make sense? Like, I think a lot of people, for Edo Portal is a great example. Uh, for some reason, a lot of people hate on Edo Portal. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like it's just a reflection to why they're not, uh, at, why Edo Portal is not looking up to them. Yeah. Because they can't celebrate his success. And that Edo is just a freaking avatar for so many people like that. Yeah. 
So that's coming up too. Yeah, I mean, so what's side tangent real quick? I'm a very famous rapper who uh, was in many ways like this kind of um, hero from afar. His name is Nipsey Hussle. He from is from L.A. and he was a icon here for the past 15 years. Just got, got a you know a Grammy nominated for his first rap album, and this dude was starting up think tanks here in L.A. in the hood, like bringing um you know young kids who would be in the streets and having them do um become engineers become entrepreneurs um just an incredible guy and he got shot down by a guy who was another rapper who was very jealous of him and did not like his success was like oh you know i i'm i hate that everybody looks up to this person i hate that that uh, and this jealousy and this weird thing and i'm like you know what one gift of mine i've always been very humble and like I love being taught. I love experiencing things. Not so that I can just, you know, oh, I have a mentor and I can look up to them. It's like, no, I can learn everything that they teach me and, and sometimes become even better, you know, than them at that same thing. And that's that's a true mentor kind of experience for me. Yeah, that's important. That um, overcoming any resistance that we have to celebrating others' yeah. success. Right. If, if anyone's listening and they've caught themselves having a hard time celebrating someone else's success, that's like a check engine light for where you can upgrade. Because what I think that's a symptom of is like very much like a crab in the bucket idea. Yeah. That there, there's this idea that if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, that once one starts escaping, the other ones will pull it down. Pull it down yeah. And it's does not to, not so they can get up, but mm-hmm. it's just like by there. That's like a lose finity. <laughs> Everyone loses in that situation compared to like the infinity of getting each other up over the uh, the bucket edge. Yep. yep. So I think you have that gift of you broken out of the group think of being a crab in the bucket and more like want to celebrate people's success. Thank you. And man. I bet I bet a lot of people will celebrate yours, and that's to the, like this weekend is an affirmation of that for sure. Definitely. Yeah, and that being said, man, what is, uh, like on a day like today, um, I'm curious what ex- exog- is that the word exogenous 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 yeah. um, things have you used? I would love to share because I've done my I've done a pretty strong ritual, and mm-hmm. I would like to let that be the gateway to the next discussion. Yeah, so um, let me see if I can just remember off the top of my head. I used uh, red reishi. I used um, a, a form of magnesium that is very unique. Um, I used a, a coffee extract that has a bunch of um, antioxidants in it. I used L-tyrosine, which is a powerful um, amino acid, uh, glutamine. Man, well, let's see what else. I used um, some nootropics, which are you know brain-boosting type formulas. One's called Forbose. It's it's made of an artichoke extract. Um, I'm I'm very into to mushrooms. Mushrooms seem to be an incredible, uh, potent compound, um, both psychedelic and regular. Um, and I'm also very into. Are um, you on both the psychedelic and the regular mushrooms today? No, not today. Okay, I was, but I am a big fan of microdosing um, psilocybin. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think it can be very, very powerful. And actually, um, there's a lot of ways that. Um, mushrooms increase um, brain growth you mm-hmm. know so I'm all, I'm all about growing the brain I'm all about expansion really expansion of my heart expansion of my mission expansion of my love and expansion of my brain too so I could probably tell you like 10 more things that I've I've used today but I think it can are, be a crutch though are any of them uh, more taboo like 
Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you care to share those? N- not at all, no. Okay, uh, I would like to do a little exchange and then to dive into what that means for us. Yeah, definitely. So I used Kratom, which is a little bit of a more taboo one. And I think that's the only really taboo one that I used. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. So today, I'm, and I will say it's a bit of a breaking normal day. Before, like with, I'll also admit, before the interview with Naveen, I was there's a extra volatile energy there for me. I'd say, and um, so I was like, I went down. I got a shot of tequila before this. Oh, I nice. smoked a little <laughs> of my bowl that had uh, ganja and tobacco, and that mm-hmm. wasn't the first time I used tobacco. I also smoking it this morning. I also used some hoppe this morning. Oh, I no love hoppe. Yeah. Collodial silver. Good one. Um, a little crate, a kratom, kratom yeah. uh, mixture. And oh, definitely a mushroom mix of all as well, but not uh, not psilocybin yeah. today. I've definitely used those before. Yeah, that's a good one. And that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. I think, and coffee. Oh, for sure, coffee and butter. I did have some coffee as well, yep. And I could see like how that could easily, like some people could judge that to be a very unhealthy thing. Sure. And this is where, for myself, and I wonder how much of this we have in common or not, I feel like I am so, like I'm a pharmacist in a way, like mm-hmm. a, what, how, what a pharmacist is possibly to, uh, possible of being. Like my dad's an actual pharmacist at Walgreens for, wow. and he's <laughs> owned a pharmacy. He's been a pharmacist for like 30 something years, but oh. he's under the constraints of working for Walgreens. Right. And it reminds me at our events, well, you've seen our events and some, a chiropractor came up to me once and he was like, oh, you're so lucky. Like. I could never say this because I would, I would, I could never do that because I would lose my license. And I was like, well, maybe you want to lose your license. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Why, why are you telling me what you can't do? I yeah. don't even believe in that. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that I feel like I have a gift for pharmacy. Like, I feel like I'm healthy. Yeah. I, very healthy. But I have this, like, I've had, I've had a, like, shadow of guilt about it. And I'm not sure I have theories around it. Am I staying connected to my parents by feeling guilty about it because mm-hmm. they really didn't want me to use taboo exogenous substances because I think they had such issues with it themselves. If yeah. That makes sense. And I'm imagining we might have that in common ancestrally. Yeah. And I'm wondering if we have the, if you experience this, like what your feelings are around, are you proud that you uh, use Kratom? Right. For instance. Yeah. Man, it's such a, a a beautiful question and one that I think has a lot of levels to it. Um, I think that at times I can depend on these exogenous compounds almost. Sometimes I, I believe I can't have the same level of, of energy or the same level of focus if I, if I take them out, which may or may not be true. But then I start feeling a little bit like, oh, I should be able to naturally produce all these things. I should be able to naturally have greater um, focus or greater this and that. But whenever I start to feel like that, it's like, okay, do I feel the same way about food? Am I like, oh, you shouldn't eat food, man, because it's like, you know, it's it's this is, you should just be able to do it on your own. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. So why do I feel guilty about taking exogenous supplements all the way up to the more extreme ones like psilocybin where does that come from? Yeah, I don't feel that way about food. And it's this um, it's this story that it's unnatural, 
right? It's unnatural, and anything that's unnatural is bad because it's not from God, and it's not. Which part is unnatural about? uh, Like, what are you referring to? It's unnatural. So, um, like for instance, a mushroom extract, right? You extract that, and it doesn't. It's not found. It's not found in nature that way. Exactly. Yeah. But Um, neither is like a graham cracker, a healthy graham cracker. Exactly. Do you feel guilt? Do you feel? (laughs) But you do feel differently about taking psilocybin mushrooms than like a a healthy graham cracker. Yeah. So it's also. I do too. That's why I'm. I'm like. I don't know if there. I feel like there. This is one of these subtleties in a lot of people's consciousness Mm -hmm. that could be explored much more with an open mind rather than like a categorizing mind. Because a lot of people might be quick to say, "Oh, like he's an addict." Yeah. Or like. Oh, uh, he's just—that's awesome. That's great. He's figured out what happened for him. Or, like it's easy to throw someone into a category about this. Sure. Or he's unreligious. Or he's uh, or he's lost his way. Or this or that. Yeah. And I, I'm just—I'm—I have a feeling me and you could unravel some subtleties around that. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I've always been a um, experimentalist throughout my whole life. I've always been very radical. I was always kind of of the kid who would. Um, you know, not go to class if I didn't feel like it. I was the kid who had no problem doing illegal things. I, I was very um, outside of the system in many ways, yet I also was this sensitive, loving kid who wanted his, his parents to love him. You know, he, he wanted his dad's love who his dad wasn't around. He wanted his, his mom's love when she wasn't around. So um, I think in, in many ways I, I was blessed with this radical upbringing where I was outside of the box and I would experiment with all kinds of things in that um, um, not having parental figures, strong ones, um, but at the same time, not having them there made me, I think, um, long for their love. So a part of me still wanted to be the good boy. So mine's at the, or so this is where we differ. Mine's actually the opposite. Mine's right. like such supportive parents, but they have this one rule. Like they would let us do anything. We did crazy stuff, like crazy stuff. Like most parents, like we had friends – I had a friend in particular, their parents wouldn't let them hang out with me anymore because they just thought it was so crazy. But the one thing that we wouldn't do was like exogenous substances that were illegal or that dare had some sort of dogma about right. that was like the one boundary. So that's a, a bit of a difference. Um, and then I'm wondering, and that brings me up, like, do you have a boundary? Because I think I, when I think about you, you're like anti-meth in a way. Totally. Yeah. Which is pretty understandable. Yeah. But you have you had the personal experiences with certain substances or that you're like, that was really, I'm really thinking no one should ever try that. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So, well, I'm hesitant to say no one should ever try that because I think that um, you might ha- like, it's hard to say that what a person's experience could be with something, even something as radical as meth. And I used to actually, and this is, you know, 15 years ago, but I was, I sold meth and I used it and I watched the way it destroyed all the lives around me. Uh, it was a, it's a very dark scene um, when you're selling a drug like that and using a drug like that. And so, and um, do you think this is really, it comes up for me because I'm going to keep yeah, yeah, go. popcorn with this, that, like the Golden Gate Bridge can be a dark scene, right? Because it attracts a lot of people that may want it in their life. Yeah. Like if you go, if you just have a highlight reel of all the people that have jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, that's like a pretty. Is the Golden Gate Bridge the issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think meth is inherently evil, or so you think? No. It, but somehow it can spin spun. Is that the, is that what the terminology is when someone's on meth? Yeah, spun? get spun. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. The, that does it does catalyze getting someone spun out of potentially out of control yeah um so it it here's the thing is that you take somebody who is um 
how deep do we want to go here? So there's a lot of theories that believe that if you have a certain trauma in your life that's that's intense enough, you actually um, you lose that your brain doesn't process things exactly the same way because of this trauma. And a lot of times someone who who would start using meth compulsively, it's because they're trying to make up for a dopamine deficiency. Right? They actually don't have it the same way that others because of this trauma. So why one person could try meth and never touch it again versus another person might use it, try it, and it's like they're on it for the rest for a long, long time is because of these brain differences. They saw the same thing um, in, in Vietnam soldiers. A lot of Vietnam soldiers used heroin, for instance, when they were over there, yet when they came back, they never touched it again, which goes against the theory of like, oh, heroin is inherently bad. The second you take that, it's got you for life. And it's like, well, they actually were finding out that these soldiers were taking it because they were in a terrible situation and they would use it to escape the situation. But when they went back home to their families and their loved ones, suddenly they didn't want to use it anymore. So it's like, it all depends on the person using it and what's happening in their brain, what's happening in their life. What are they escaping from and what are they doing? And it's not inherently the drug has some sort of evil tendency. And that's a controversial thing to say, but I believe that. Yeah. I mean, I imagine most people experience what is, is classified as drugs is so subjective. It's nutty. However, they've there is so much projection out there. Yes. There's so much projection, whether it's the D.A.R.E. program, whether it's AA, whether it's a religious group, whether it's a gang, whether like some, whether it's like the, the dealers, whether it's Pablo Escobar, whoever it is. It's so subjective, but I think the so if someone's going to use mushrooms for the first time, and this is, I recommend, have you heard that book? I think we were talking about the other night, How to Change Your Mind from Michael Pollan. I haven't read it yet. But I've been listening I, to uh, it. Yeah, and he, I've heard a lot about it. The, what I'm gathering from it, what he's saying is that, and I agree, that m- most psychedelic experiences may be, and maybe potentially other experiences outside of LSD or mushrooms, the placebo might be so strong, much more strong than people are understanding what's happening. Yeah. So if someone's taking acid and they believe they're going to tap into the unconscious, they probably will. Right. If someone's going to take acid and they're going to believe they're going to see butterflies appear out of the sky, they probably will. That's right. kind of the case that's being made. And I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm just still exploring. I, I feel like I still am aware of those projections from my parents or being like, or feeling that guilt, and I think a lot of people do. Like, yeah. do you? How can I, or how can you, fully partner with a plant like ganja? Yes, and feel like just as pure about it as eating a banana. Yeah, I think that, and this is something I've just have started to explore. But every plant does have kind of, you can call it a spirit, you can call it an essence. Um, you could call it just a, 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 a biological makeup. But I think actually every, especially if you're talking about um, psychedelic plants, which cannabis would, ganja would certainly be a psychedelic plant, has kind of a spirit to it. So what I've started to do is kind of say like a little prayer to this plant or to this thing. Same with like hape, right? It's got the tobacco spirit in it. And try to make it, uh, try to almost become allies with it instead of this thing that I use to, um, that I'm like taking from and using from. I kind of want to develop a symbiotic relationship with the plants um, and with really the planet in general. 
So whereas when I was younger and I was all wild, it's just like, man, like, let me put whatever I can into my body to feel some kind of way and just radical experimentalist. And I still, I still do that. But now it's like, I try to, I try to partner with the plants a little bit more and I'm going more towards plants only and, um, further away from the more pharmaceutical nootropics and the things that, um, don't have the history, don't have the time that plants do. I think the more you change something, the less you can lose a, like its kind of original spirit or potency. It becomes a bit um, jumbled. The energy becomes wobbly in it. Um, and again, this is kind of what I'm experimenting with right now is just having a prayer between the plant and using it as my ally instead of this thing that I just take without intention. Yeah, it reminds me, I went to this museum in Bozeman, Montana, and the tribe up there, allegedly for them, smoking is praying. Yeah. It's like sending yeah, a, a sig- the smoke goes up, and that's like sig- the signal, to- signal that the gods are listening, and mm-hmm. here we are praying over these herbs. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I, yeah, I feel like I'm in constant prayer with uh, plants, whatever that means, with myself and about the plants that I'm partnering with. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people think, and myself included, that the plants... Um, are here to like to to help us. They they are there. There's a reason why you have all these cannabinoid receptors in your brain that doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's like, yeah, there's there's. I think that all the plants, especially the mushrooms, are here to help, and uh, I don't think we're as separate from them as we think. And I think it's crazy to be make a plant illegal or to say you can't you can't you know, use that plant. It's like, no, no, we've gone, I think society has gone so far away from the connection with the plants. And that's how thing, a, a thing becomes taboo or it becomes bad is when there's a lot of fear around it. And there's a lot of, of, Oh, we can't even talk about this. You definitely can't use it, but use it. And if you tell me you've used something, I'm going to judge you as a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I wanted to say for myself around it, and I'd love to hear if you yeah. have anything, just what, what you're, regardless of what anyone thinks, yeah. what your experience, with certain plants have been like yeah and for me I think I may have hesitated or sometimes I do it off like myself maybe more of a ritual aspect Mm -hmm. but not as celebrated as proud as I actually feel about it Mm -hmm. and I don't want to undermine the shadow that I feel like I can't tell what's going on is this part of my plant experience is the cannabis that I use was it grown from someone that's paranoid or was it grown from someone that felt guilty or is this what I'm feeling about this plant or whatever it is? And for the most part, when I use, I, when I use uh, a dose that I think is a proper dose from like a pharmaceutical perspective for myself, I have had such ama- epic results with coffee, mm-hmm. tea, like to caffeine in particular, tea, coffee, like mate, matcha, but mostly coffee done right, cannabis. Like when I spoke at the Bulletproof Conference that those four years ago, I don't know if you remember that part. He's like, he asked me, what do I do for creativity? And at that point, I was really getting into ganja more yeah. so. And I was like, do y'all have Bulletproof ganja yet? <laughs> or where's the Bulletproof <laughs> cannabis? I, I like, I'm amazed of the uh, breakthroughs and understanding I've had with using ganja and tobacco mixed together. Definitely. And uh, alcohol, beer. Like, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a beer shaman. I can be a beer shaman, but I am not sure. Like, I just feel like I would, I would be judging. I would have this perceive that people would be judging me. And then there's a part of me that I also think I'm wondering if I want to prove my parents right and someone like tell me I have a problem. Yeah. Like JP wants, he's like, well, maybe you are an alcoholic. And I was like, wow, that feels good. 
<laughs> I was like, I just someone said it finally, um, and I was and I felt like more removed from it than ever. Well, why did it feel good? I think because I was like, that's what does that even mean? Why am I uh, fearing? What is that even? I see. But that's just a whole other category to explore what an alcoholic is. And I'm not undermining people that believe themselves to be alcoholics or if someone believes in that as a disease. Yeah. Man, people can get themselves. I've, I've drank with people. I'm like, why are we, Why I was ready to stop at two beers. Why are you like still drinking after 20 beers? And yeah. there's something different there. Definitely. So I'm not undermining alcoholism or anything. But that's some of the things I would like to say. And then Kratom or Kratom, I was in Montana. I think that Kevin and y'all were first telling me about it. Yeah. And I used it and I was amazed. I was amazed. I'm like, what? Yeah. So I, 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 it was really easy for me to ritualize, like uh, doing my a, a ritual that I do sometimes recently is like celery juice right when I wake up. Right. And then like a kratom with the golden milk and the black seed oil and the maple mm-hmm. syrup, or, and like something you suggested with the the turmeric, black pepper, and the yep. um, lime juice or lemon juice. Man. Right. I feel, and then I go out do breath work with that, and I could if I want to do hape somewhere in there. I feel like I'm cheating. That might be part of the guilt. <laughs> I feel like well, if everyone else did this, we like. This, but then I see people use the substances and they use them so differently. Right. So that's just my dissertation on what we've been talking about. I don't know if you have like a summary of how you are, what you, comes up for you around this topic before you maybe shift or pivot. Yeah. So I think that like, it's funny that, you know, the whole, maybe you're an alcoholic thing or maybe you're an addict or maybe you're this and that. Um, it's so so interesting to me because um i feel people shame i want to like i don't even know if it's intentional but there's a lot of shame around somebody it's like you if you're an alcoholic that's a shameful thing to be if you're an addict it's definitely a thing that in confessions people would like confess that their dad was an alcoholic yeah like yeah obviously that must mean there was a lot of shame if that was their big confession that their dad was now that was like a part of their confession so i hear you on that yeah and it's so funny because i'm realizing now when i when i talk about my my mother who i love very deeply and it's like such a dear she's like a friend a very close friend of mine at this point but i'll say when i'm telling somebody about my childhood it's like yeah you know she was an alcoholic and a drug addict and this and it's like (laughs) why do i say that (laughs) i say it because i think oh everybody knows that's a that's a messed up thing to be but it's like what if the messed up thing is is how a person is acting and how what a person does and yeah there can be a higher correlation sometimes between people who are addicts versus um not who 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 do harmful things to one another but i think that there's a much deeper story there and a lot of the quote unquote addicts you'll never hear about that have a, that are fine because maybe this addiction thing we all have it to some degree. Some people are addicted to uh, chasing love. Some people are addicted to to money. Some people are addicted to substances. Some people are addicted to sobriety. Yeah. To cleanliness, to purity. Yeah. And I think I would resonate with that with the Robert Oz season. Definitely a slippery slope of being hyper judgmental about like was that not fully cooked or was it actually raw? Yeah. It kind of like <laughs> the details of what I could feel guilty about got like more refined yeah wow and it's so it's so weird that when that happens man the the whole uh shaming and guilting yourself because you are this or you're that or ooh, i'm not quite a, a raw vegan enough and because i did this and i can't call myself a raw bra or this or that um like you know me if i use too much kratom it's like ooh, you know is this am i dabbling back into my old life where i you know used to use hardcore substances a lot and i think that's a valid question i do ask myself is am i taking this too 
too far to where I can't um, stop using it if I want to. And that to me is the, to kind of bring it back full circle, that's the question I'm always asking myself. Has this thing became a master over me? Has it, has it, am I serving it now or is it my ally? And I can partner with it when I want to or I can leave it when I want to. And to me, a value of mine is freedom. And so I'm constantly, um, I'll be honest, I dance with that line a lot of like, ooh, is this slipping into I need this thing versus I'm allied with it and it's helping my life. Yeah, you know where that came up for me the strongest is, and I've talked about this before, and I think I just want to, I, I feel like the best way, if there's someone out there is feeling guilty or shameful, like, a sorrow shared is a sorrow halved. So when I feel like there is there like a tinge of guilt here, sometimes I've been, I think, hyper aggressive at trying to illuminate it. Yeah. <clears throat> which I think has served me. Totally. Um, and I suggest it for others. <laughs> Start being more hyper vigilant about where you can get support. Yes. <laughs> Completely agree. And talk about it and take action on it. But that really came surface for me when Davina was being birthed. I talked about this in my recent episode briefly with Jade. But uh, that was a great that was a great episode. Check that out. Oh, wow. Um But when Davina was born, it was like we were hitting a point where I it was getting so chaotic and I was so drained and I was like, how am I like am I am I even uh, here? Like, do I need, what do I need to do? Do I need to jump in the ocean? But that would have been too extreme. Yeah. And I ended up like smoking a little pot and I think tobacco and, yeah. and drank a beer and took a cold shower. And then all of a sudden, Davina's getting birthed. <laughs> and I remember like this guilt bubbling up, like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I wanted to, and why, and then I was like, why do I even care about that? Like, why do I, why is this a theme in my mind? Why has that been a theme in my mind that I felt guilty that I had a beer and smoked pot right before Davina was birthed? Yeah. And maybe it's because of I think my, what my parents would think. Maybe that's what it is. I think there's a lot of roots into that for me. I get to maybe address those roots soon. Yeah. Well, it's also the altered state thing, right? A lot of people think that if your state is altered, which we're constantly doing that all the time, I could say hi to a person and our states can be altered based on the interaction that we have. But the second it becomes an exogenous compound that's altering your state, um, it suddenly is like, oh, like that's that's not me. It's this. It's bad. It's like it's it's like well, no, that is you, and it's a version of you, and it can be amplified. But um, I think that that's where a lot of the shame and guilt is. It's like, ooh, it, it's it's bad to be in altered state if my child is being born. Like that's a bad thing. And um, to, to that, I just say it's like, to what degree? Maybe if you were to get shit faced <laughs> and you were baby barely able to talk and see your child, maybe that would be a bad thing. But maybe if you had a beer and it had a slight altering, maybe that's a beautiful thing. I don't know. Well, and here's where the plot thickens. <laughs> it was time for me to step up. Mm. It was time for me to step up, and I was feeling like I wanted to step up. And I'm not sure if the birth would have been as beautiful if I didn't do that. Yeah. Actually. Wow. I got my got myself in a different state on purpose. Mm-hmm. I felt like I there was like a, recently I lost a cat. I didn't lose. It. I left the door open, and my friend's cat was there, and she was outside all night. And I and I start. I, I was actually planning. This is my day where I was going to do things different and not use the, the typical exogenous supplements. Sure. And I started smoking a little tobacco. I'm like, I got, I got to get some in the state. And I start. I even thought about consider taking a large dose of mushrooms <laughs> to see if I could figure out where she was. Oh wow. 
So there's like two sides of the coin. Yeah, you could say that's why'd you do that unnecessary, you feel guilty, whatever. Or it's like maybe I, it was time for me to step up and I did. I actually really facilitated that birth more than I thought I was going to. Definitely, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy, man. I've got a lot of people that have ever seen that. If you, if anyone, I would love to hear from anyone that's been in a private setting with their birthing, like not in a hospital setting and not necessarily being so instructed by someone else, but the decision was in their hands. That's freaking intense. Yeah. Y'all are right next door. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> there was a point where they wanted to use a tool to break Deanna's water, and I had to like really step up and say, "Oh no, we're not going to do that right now." Like, Whoa. Gosh, man. Yeah, anyways, well, yeah. that's a whole nother thing. Um, and approaching the 222, there's so much to talk about. Anything else on your heart that you definitely want to address? Um, yeah, I think that I, I just to maybe close the, the, the door on the um, substances talk, I think that it's good to ask questions. I ask myself questions all the time. I ask my soul, God, guides. I'm I'm questioning things constantly, and that's been something I believe that's a huge um, skill and blessing of mine. I see that incredibly with you as well. It's many reasons why I was drawn to you is that you you question things. And whenever somebody gets mad at you for questioning something, whenever someone says like, "Of course that's bad to use substances if your daughter is being," I'm always very cautious of somebody like that who who just doesn't have a questioning type of mind, isn't curious, isn't ready to look. And so I think anybody who's maybe triggered by the, the, the talk of, of substances as if they're just universally bad, it's like, I think I just want to encourage people to just ask questions and just allow allow yourself to wonder if maybe you don't know everything. Maybe if the way that you've been spun a story is not the actual way that your heart um, wants to feel about it and maybe if you release some of the shame and guilt about being an addict or being an alcoholic being this and that and you start sharing it with others maybe there's some profound healing there instead of just being like oh i'm a bad person and i'm just gotta fix this and it's terrible it's like no brother you're amazing but maybe there's some things to look at there's some questions to be asked and let's ask them and let's do it with other people and let's love each other instead of shaming each other yeah, I got now a little more passion bubbling because we're at the cat. We're here at the conference, and yeah. my I think one of my hangups too, and one of my reasons I want to keep like I've kept talking about this is yeah. some people are like, "We well, are still talking about this," um, <laughs> is because so many people are not. There's so many people that might be giving uh, keynotes here or whatever, that, and I bet you've seen this too. Yeah. They might be using things behind the scenes oh. that, for some reason, the public doesn't know about. Yeah, I, I get I get all the behind the scenes <laughs> looks too because I know all of them, and so I got all these behind the scene looks. And oh man, if people knew the stories that I could share, and I'm not gonna, you know, house people, but there's some there's some secretive use for sure. And that's the part that trips me up. There's like all the, so here, this guy, let's someone's giving a keynote speech, like a hundred thousand people, they're so inspired by him, right? Yeah. And let's say it's about the subject of going into space. Right. And in the meantime, maybe this guy has gotten those breakthroughs of going into space by dosing acid or mushrooms consistently. Mm-hmm. But these 100,000 people have no idea that's where they he got the inspiration from. And they might be like trying to read his book or and he's not including this. He or she is not including this. That's a, also a thing I want to make sure that people ask questions about or consider. Yeah. Consider that why maybe cult, because of cultural groupthink and all these crazy stories about addicts and how that's a shameful thing mm-hmm. that there might be some information that's being hidden 
that it's important to discover for oneself, I'd say. Big time. I actually think it's one of the most hidden things, period, um, is substance use, especially illegal substance use. I think it's the most hidden thing, period. And it's wild to me of, of how much fear and how much behind the scenes there is with that stuff. Um, even with people that seem to be very open about it, um, there's still a lot going more behind the scenes that is not fully there. And I even challenge myself about this. Like I haven't really told my whole story about going through, you know, meth use and addiction and selling Coke and like going through that and dealing with really bad dudes who were actually, you know, a very violent people. I've, I still haven't really shared the depths of that story. Um, and it's like, why? Why? Well, I'll be completely honest. There's still some shame there. There's still some things that I'm working on, but I'm getting better and better. And I want to like facilitate those conversations too. And realize there's a lot more people out there having these these shame issues than we can even fathom. So yeah, I mean, like there. So there. This is this is such a big topic. So then, like something as AA, from my understanding. Yeah. They confess in the beginning that they have a disease, for instance. So yeah. this is where this method works. It's the same way raw veganism works. Um, if someone is really unhealthy, if they've been eating fast food for years, yep. and they're having they have inflammation issues and all this stuff going on, and they go on a raw vegan diet, it's going to work. Right. It's extreme and it's going to work. And I'm not sure if I suggest people identifying with it long term. And I kind of get that. But if someone's an addict, if someone really believes they're an addict, it's a great diet because they can actually eat all the fruit they want and still be thin and thriving in a way. <laughs> but there's a there's this trade-off with that. And I feel like that's the same. There's been so many great thinkers that have had such crazy experiences with these exogenous supplements. Yep. And then they throw them out. Maybe they didn't want to handle the – maybe there was too much guilt or something. Whatever yeah. the reason, they completely cut themselves off from it. And then their story becomes – that this is where their like their message is coming from, like a so sober, pure, clean mind. Yeah. But how can you ever remove the impact that they that, that their their experiences with these supplements or these drugs or these yeah. substances? Yep, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? Uh, <laughs> that there's this. Uh, I forget his name. He's a famous Bill Hicks, and he does this skit where he's like, "All of you out there who think drugs." are terrible and are a bad thing and should be removed. He's like, I want you to do me a favor. Go and take every album you've ever owned. I want you to burn them. Because every person making that album, real fucking high. <laughs> and then the, this is the other, it gets real cloudy in my opinion. This is the cloudiest yeah. part of it is because of the pharmaceutical industry in a way. Yeah. The industry of don't do ganja because everyone can grow ganja. Right. <laughs> do this instead and we're going to demonize ganja. Yeah, get in, take an SSRI because that's, that's safer than ganja. <laughs> yeah, so that's, there's just a cloudy... I'm, I'm happy. I feel like we got to illuminate some clouds here. Totally. Around a culturally taboo topic that deserves more attention. Yeah. And for me, what I'm aiming to do and I trust other people are aiming to do is like to lovingly and accurately report what's happening for them, to them, from them. Yeah. And not sometimes, sometimes like there's this idea of the devils in the details. And I, th I, I think about like, well, give the devil wings by addressing that detail, like get detailed, yeah. get detailed yeah. about what's going on. And uh, thank you for being so detailed with me. Absolutely. Yeah. About Same. topics that are easy for others to brush over. Definitely. Yeah. This is actually the most um, detailed I've uh, 
talking about the subject on a podcast before, so thank you for evoking that from me. It's something I'm very passionate about. That um, my voice has yet to really, really rise in this particular subject, and I can feel that it's like, whew, back to the whole Joseph Campbell, the cave you most fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. I believe, like, in many ways, um, one of my caves that I'm afraid to enter is this larger talk about addiction, because it's like, you know, there's all this fear of, like, oh, if you're labeled that's then it's somehow bad, but it's like, you know what, this is such an important subject, and I'm just, I'm tired of people, um, you know, I've had friends kill themselves out of shame. I've had people that, you know, never got the help that they could because they're just so in the closet, so removed from society because of, of something like a, a substance use problem. And it's like, man, if more people were having these conversations and lovingly, openly being like, oh yeah, that, that thing had a role in my life at one point too. Instead of being like, yeah, that was a bad thing. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's like, no, let's just talk about it in an open way. And I appreciate you for evoking that in me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like instead of demonizing these topics, we're angelizing. (laughs) 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 And on that note, man, um, I'm stoked to see whatever y'all are going to facilitate. I guess it's happening in like about three hours. I know you have a call right after this. If people want to learn more about like what's the most relevant and exciting way for people to find you and what you're doing right now. Yeah. So I keep it pretty simple. I do a lot of Instagram stories just documenting my life. Um, that's probably the best way. Just follow me at Ryan underscore the underscore Lionheart. Um, Facebook, I do content, but not quite as, as regularly, but you could follow me on Facebook as well. But that's probably the best way if you really want to kind of start a conversation with me. Hit me up on Instagram. If anything I said is, is you know, if you've had shame or you felt this way, you have a question, shoot me a message. I'll do my best to answer. That's That feels good. Awesome. Thank you for making that offer. Yeah. And I highly suggest people taking, whether it's with Ryan or someone. And I would actually, if you want to go all in, I would really encourage people, if there's a topic, that find the person that would be the most impactful to talk to it about. Yeah. But if that if, you, if that feels like too much, find Ryan yeah. or whoever it is, like a neighbor. Anybody. Maybe start with your dog or cat or your imaginary friend. But <laughs> share, you know, sh- that sorrow shared is a sorrow halved. A joy shared is a joy doubled. We are social creatures. Let's have some fun. 100%, man. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, brother. <laughs> this boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Preface. Flashing red and blue lights in the rearview mirror. The sudden whoop of a police siren. All 13 of us in the van stopped talking and my brother Timothy, seated at the wheel, began to pull over. What's going on, I asked him. Were you speeding? I don't know, Timothy responded. I'm not even sure what the speed limit is. It was late, almost midnight on the narrow, winding road. We were driving out of Yellowstone National Park, feeling tired and hungry from a day spent in nature and very much looking forward to getting back to the retreat house, where we would eat dinner and perhaps get in one last exercise before bed. The van was quiet, cozy. Some people in our group were nodding off. Others were talking quietly. Everyone woke up real quick when the cop pulled in behind us, and as we turned around to look out the back windows, a blinding spotlight hit us in the face. The interior of our van, all lit up now, suddenly felt more cramped than it did before. There's something about cops that seems to put people on edge as though the spotlight were an accusation rather than a standard safety procedure. 
The knee-jerk reaction is to check oneself, to pat one's pockets, scan the immediate vicinity, and try to remember everything one has done in the past five minutes. The silence in the van broke as people started to speculate and ask questions. One member of the group told a story about a past police run-in, which sparked someone else to relate a similar story, which reminded yet another member about her friend, or a friend of her friend, who had something bad happen to her, and the reason was X, which meant we should do Y and so on. Improbable, and to me exaggerated, notions simply by being spoken aloud were repeated, taken seriously, and given traction. Maybe we hit something. Maybe we swerved. Maybe they think we're drug dealers. The last comment, part kidding, part serious about our vehicle, a white oversized conversion van with black tin and windows, earned a few laughs, and then other jokes were made. After that, it seemed everyone was talking and it got louder in the van until someone in the back shouted for silence. For a moment, I felt similarly triggered and noticed my heart beating faster and my armpits sweating. I remember that I had a small amount of cannabis in my bag, which wouldn't have worried me if we had been in California where I am medically registered, but we weren't, and I briefly considered swallowing it. An older version of myself might have done so, but now, sitting in the van, I decided that if the officer asked, I would tell him the truth. I reminded myself to breathe, because while my mind could spin out numerous stories to explain and frame the encounter we were about to have, I didn't know what was happening, and neither, it seemed, did anyone else in our group. So instead of letting the stories run away with me, by resisting or engaging them, I chose instead to notice and observe them while focusing a bit more on the sensations in my body. In general, there are four reactions to physical and emotional stress. Fight, flight, freeze, and facade. All four were on display in the form of defensiveness, excuse-making, shutting down, and downplaying. The cop walked around our vehicle, flashlight in hand, inspecting every inch. Timothy rolled down the driver's side window, License and registration. Do you know why I pulled you over? We clocked you at 57 back there. The speed limit is 45. The cop walked around to the passenger side, opened the door, and poked his head inside. The person seated closest to that door was Terrell, the only black person in our group. When the cop asked him to step out of the vehicle, panic ensued. Whoa, 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 someone said from the back. What's going on? Why does he have to step out? What's the reason for this? It's all right, the cop responded. I just have to ask him a few questions. More than one person in our group pulled out their cell phone, thinking they were about to witness the next viral episode of perceived police injustice. The spotlight, however, made it impossible to see what was happening. A litany of speculation erupted, with all four stress responses again running rampant. A few minutes later, the two returned and the cop asked Amy, another member of our group, to please step out. When they departed, Terrell was bombarded with questions. I told him we were here for a retreat, he began, practicing honesty and self-expression, but I don't think he believed me. When the cop came back with Amy, I imagined from his facial expression that he was confused and possibly frustrated. With barely a word, he pulled out a third person, Kyle. None of us knew how much time had passed, nor what we'd done to warrant the extra questioning, but it was clear that the officer suspected us of more than speeding. Outside, we heard Kyle and the officer raise their voices, 
And when they returned to the van, Kyle seemed rattled. The cop told us to hang tight. He got in my face, Kyle reported, actually got in my face. I told him we're here for a retreat, focusing on health and freedom through raw honesty, and he told me I was lying. Then I pulled my cell phone out and began videotaping, and that's when everything escalated. I told the same thing, Amy added, and he looked at me like I was crazy. Sometime later, the cop's partner or superior arrived, and this guy seemed more cordial and apologized for the delay, explaining that while we were pulled over for speeding, there was another infraction for which we were being investigated. He then asked for our names and phone numbers while his colleague pulled out another suspect. One member of the group refused to provide the information, which created some tension in me and I imagine in the rest of the group as well. Right up until we got pulled over, we had a plan for how the rest of our night was going to go. The moment those flashing lights went on, however, the plan changed and got farther and farther away with every passing minute. Rather than accepting that change of plan and co-creating a new one, some members of our group seemed resentful for the interruption and wanted it to be over as quickly as possible. And that resistance seemed to make the encounter longer and less pleasant. Have you seen any wolves around here? I asked the superior. Wolves? Yeah, I've been in the park a handful of times over the past month, and I've seen a lot of wildlife, but not any wolves, which is something I was desiring to see from a safe distance. Oh, sure, he answered, and went on to say that most likely at that very moment, there was one within a mile radius of us watching. He sees them all the time, he said, usually at night on patrol. The partner came back and pulled someone else out of the van, and a few minutes later, another. The whole encounter by now was getting long and drawn out, and people's irritation was starting to show. Not only were they hangry, but many of them had paid a lot of money to come on this retreat, expecting me and Timothy to deliver a life-changing experience, and to them, this police interaction might have seemed like a total distraction. I, on the other, was excited to be pulled over by the police and grateful for the opportunity. Whenever our retreats intersect with the so-called real world, it's a chance to put into practice the things we talk about, to walk the talk, and to remain open through potentially challenging encounters. So not only was I not afraid of being questioned, I was anxious to get the chance. When the partner came back for another suspect, in fact, I actually leaned forward with the intention of getting picked. It was obvious that the officers had sort of assumption or suspicion against us, just like some of the people in the van had assumptions and suspicions against them. But I wanted to dial it back farther and stick to what had happened. If it was true that we had indeed committed some infraction other than speeding, I wanted to know what it was so that we could make amends and move forward, possibly learning something in the process. In my mind, the police intervention was divinely conceived, our paths crossing for a reason, and though that encounter might have had felt hostile at times, ultimately, I had faith that we were on an even bigger team, the human team, and therefore, despite the apparent differences between me and the officers, their uniforms as compared to my flip-flops, for example, the similarities were far greater. I trusted from the experience that the more I opened up, the more they might too and that the things we both considered to be deeply personal were actually universal. Then it happened. 
Having figured out by now who among our group was in charge, the cops asked me and Timothy to step out. Okay, he began. We've been hearing a lot of stories from your colleagues, a lot of new agey, hippy-dippy type of stuff. I understand that you two are running a retreat and that it has something to do with health and honesty, though I'm not sure what, and quite frankly, it sounds suspicious. I caught myself in the act of crossing my arms, which is a closed-off defensive position, like a wolf raising its hackles. So before I answered, and because it's cold out, I shook them out a little, put my hands in my pockets, and rocked slightly on my feet as a way of staying loose. We run retreats, I said, about breaking normal, hacking the rat race, and upgrading the matrix. We get fun comfortable and practice relationships, moving beyond a reliance on agreement-based connections. We get people out of their heads and into their hearts and teach self-acceptance through self-expression to help them gain clarity and freedom in their lives. It's health through honesty. They both looked at us for a long moment. Okay, the officer said, waving his hand dismissively. We're going to ask you some questions now, and the best course of action for you is to be honest and tell the truth. I smiled. Great. That's exactly what I do.